Offering my most loving pranams at Bhagwan's lotus feet. Dear listeners, I welcome you to this week's episode of the Gita series, A Try on Pilgrimage. This is Prem, your friend from Team Radio Sai, and as it happens every week, I have the pleasure of joining you all from our studio at Pashanti Nilayam. This is a program, as you are all aware, we go through the Bhagavad Gita and we do it together. We learn in the company of each other and as I always say and as I always prefer to reiterate, I am not more knowledgeable than most of you. In fact, uh, my experience over the past few years has been that some of you listeners are way more well-informed than any of us here and that's helped us learn along with all of you. So I'm not here in the capacity of someone who knows more than you and who is here to share my knowledge. But we are here to do this together because in each other's company we learn more. And Swami would often say, Kalisi Melisi Perugudam, it is in each other's company when we, we unitedly learn, we learn more. And I think I'm grateful to the Swami in each one of you for this opportunity that week after week we dwell not merely on the verses of the Bhagavad Gita, but as deep as we can in relationship with what Swami has told us in the background of Swami's words. And as we will see this week, we will rely heavily on Swami's insights to get a better understanding of what Krishna and Arjuna are discussing. We are in the beginning part of the fourth chapter. In fact, we just began the fourth chapter last week. We covered the first three verses. The chapter itself begins with Krishna saying that whatever he has been teaching Arjuna, especially the Karma Yoga, he says that in the very beginning I revealed this knowledge of yoga to Vivaswan or Sun God and he in turn taught it to Manu and Manu passed it on to Ikshvaku. And I did make a reference as to why this particular lineage which Krishna is referring to is important because Krishna does not specify what yoga he is talking about or what knowledge he is referring to. And there are other scriptures in which the reference is very clear that whatever Krishna has been teaching Arjuna in the form of karma yoga, it is not the jnana yoga which is meant for sankhyas as Krishna said in the second chapter, but it is the karma yoga. And very clearly he says that this knowledge has been given and as we can see Manu, Ikshvaku are all rulers of the land, right? They are not sannyasis, they are not uh, Brahmins or teachers of knowledge, but they are rulers of the land. So Krishna clearly says that it was passed on to such people and he says from them it was further passed on to kings who had a very spiritual inclination. He uses the word Raja Rishaya, right? Those who are kings and who are rishis or who are sages. So he says that this yoga, this knowledge of this yoga was passed on to kings who had that spiritual intent or that spiritual thirst. But with time, probably such people reduced in number, the interest for such knowledge reduced and because of passage of time, Krishna says, this knowledge was lost for mankind. And eventually he says, I am revealing this yoga to you now, O Arjuna, which is the highest of secrets and I am doing so, I am revealing it to you because you are my devotee and you are my friend. And we also discussed the importance of Krishna mentioning this, that you are my devotee and you are my friend. Being a devotee, he will be humble and he will be obedient to receive the knowledge. But when Krishna says you are my friend, 
Arjuna will not hesitate to raise doubts and clarify what is troubling him. And there's another reason why Krishna is saying that you're my friend. We will maybe make a brief reference to that as we go through today's verses. But when Krishna says that you are my friend, and we said that that gives Arjuna the license to ask questions whatever and whenever they trouble him. And Arjuna is ready to raise a doubt right now. He has a question which is burning in his heart which he is about to ask. And that is the fourth verse. And pretty much, just like in the third chapter, the third chapter begins with Arjuna asking a question. Pretty much the essence of the fourth chapter starts from this question. Of course, this question is a spin-off from what Krishna said in the beginning and that's why the chapter itself starts with what Krishna said. But really speaking, what Arjuna is raising today or what we are seeing today, the verse number 4, is going to be the precursor or the guiding factor for what Krishna is going to say in this particular chapter. So we'll listen to the verse number 4 of chapter 4. I'll give you a brief meaning of that and then we'll discuss in detail, especially taking a lot of help from what Swami has written in the Gita Vahini. Arjuna Uvacha Aparam Bhavato Janma Param Janma Vivasvataha Kathami Tadvijaniyam Tvamadau Proktavaniti Arjuna said, Your birth was later, whereas the birth of Vivaswan was earlier. How am I to understand this, that you instructed him in the beginning? This question, to a great extent, reveals a lot about what idea Arjuna had about Krishna. There was no doubt, actually, if you look at the story of the Mahabharata, that Arjuna considered Krishna as extraordinary, Arjuna and all the Pandavas. In fact, he acknowledged Krishna's superhuman powers, when in an episode that Swami would often narrate where you know Krishna and Arjuna are taking a stroll and Krishna looks at a bird, he points out to it and says, Arjuna, look at that, isn't that an eagle? And then Arjuna looks at it and says, yes, Krishna, it is an eagle. And then Krishna says, no, no, look at it properly. It doesn't look like an eagle. I think it's a dove. And then Arjuna says, yes, yes, Krishna, it's a dove. And Krishna keeps on changing the name of that bird and what bird it is. And Arjuna keeps agreeing with him at one point. Krishna turns to Arjuna and says, Arjuna, don't you have a mind of your own? Don't you realize that you are just saying yes to whatever I am telling? And then Arjuna submits to him and says, Krishna, I know that it doesn't really matter what bird is there because I know that you have the ability to change it at any time. right? So Arjuna did acknowledge Krishna's abilities and in a sense he surrendered to that spark that he saw in Krishna. In fact, Swami would narrate this episode and say that this happens just before the war starts and then Swami says that Krishna after this episode you know, says yes Arjuna is ready, he has the surrender to fight this battle and Swami would say to receive the Bhagavad Gita. Same way there are many many episodes where Arjuna and the other Pandavas have experienced Krishna's grace. Krishna's grace when Draupadi's honour was saved, when Krishna saved the Pandavas from the wrath of Durvasa, that's a beautiful episode that Swami narrates. And many, many such episodes are there. Romarishi episode is one which Swami is very fond of narrating. All of these led to Arjuna choosing Krishna over 
his entire army, right? Because he knew that all that he had to do was have Krishna by his side, have Krishna's wise counsel, have Krishna's extraordinary presence by his side. But in spite of such recognition of Krishna being superhuman, being extraordinary, Arjuna still did not understand Krishna's nature entirely. He did not recognize Krishna as an avatar. He did not recognize Krishna as Ishvara or the Supreme Godhead. Right? That's what is revealed in this question that Arjuna is asking. You know, when we were going through the third chapter, we saw how till the second chapter or the end of the second chapter could have well been the end of the Bhagavad Gita itself. And I made this point then also because the second chapter is like pretty much whatever Arjuna had to hear from Krishna. But because in the beginning of the third chapter, Arjuna raises this question of I did not understand what you are saying, Krishna dwells deeper into the concept of Karma Yoga. Very similarly, this particular doubt that Arjuna is raising, as I was just saying before I played that verse, is going to be what will guide the discourse hereafter. Because now when Krishna is asked this question by Arjuna, you know, how can this be true? Krishna is going to talk about who he really is and what his nature is, right? The question which shows how Arjuna did not recognize who Krishna really was is this particular question that he is asking. He says, Aparam bhavato janma. Krishna, your birth happened later. Param janma vivasvataha. The birth of vivaswan happened earlier. Aparam and param are antonyms, right? Meaning later and prior. He says, Aparam bhavato janmaha. Krishna, your birth happened later, but param janma vivasvataha. Vivaswan or sun god was born much, much before you. So when Krishna says, I taught this yoga to Vivaswan or the sun god who then passed it on to Manu, Arjuna is asking, wait, wait, how is that even ever possible? You were born much, much later and clearly the sun was already there when you were born. And as I mentioned, Ikshvaku is one of the ancestors of Lord Rama and we know that Lord Rama himself was born in the previous yuga. So this seems completely baffling to Arjuna. He says, Katham yetat vijaniyam. How am I ever to understand this? Tvam ado proktavaniti. That you declared these truths in the very beginning. He's saying, I just cannot understand what you're saying. So till this point, Arjuna was following whatever Krishna was explaining to him. Krishna spoke to him about karma yoga, about how to control the mind and the senses. And all of that, but when Krishna says that this is not ancient wisdom, that this is not a new age wisdom that he is giving, but this is an ancient wisdom that he had himself given in the beginning of creation, Arjuna is completely flabbergasted. If we read only the Gita, you know, this seems like a very simple question. It's just a simple question that Arjuna is asking. And, you know, sometimes in Swami's presence, when we interact with Swami, we are actually not really surprised if Swami reveals his omniscience or when Swami materializes something or Swami does something very miraculous. But nevertheless, sometimes there will be some devotees around Swami or even us students. We'll ask a rhetorical question. We'll say, Swami, how is this possible, Swami? How are you doing this? You know, we know that he's doing it because he's, he's the Supreme Lord. But there would be a rhetorical question posed to Swami and Swami would then say, you know, Everything is there in this hand, sir, Swami would say, you know, in, in his typical fashion. Or Swami would say that, uh, where am I not? 
am i here or am i everywhere you know something like very beautiful and profound statements like that swami would make and the students and devotees around swami would ask such questions of how swami is able to do this or how is swami able to know all this it's a rhetorical question we don't know want an answer but just hoping that swami would make a declaration which would make that episode or which would make that moment more memorable right that was the motive with which some of these questions would be asked but when you read this question from arjuna in a sense appears like that that you know after all arjuna knows who krishna is and why is he so surprised by what krishna is saying he knows that krishna is parabrahman himself but is still asking a rhetorical question probably so that krishna will make some memorable declaration which you know he could go back and tell his children and grandchildren right but the fact is it is not so this is a very very genuine doubt that arjuna is asking and we know that when we read swami's gita vaini swami says that this question was a result of literally a storm that lashed in arjuna's mind because till now everything was nice whatever krishna was saying was beginning to make sense to arjuna the importance of performing one's duty not to become a slave to one's own preferences why one must not seek rewards how to dedicate everything to god right everything whatever was coming under the ambit of karma yoga everything was beginning to make sense to arjuna but when krishna says sun god was my first disciple arjuna is completely thrown off balance it challenges arjuna's intelligence and if he is at a state where he says if i do not get this cleared i might start doubting whatever i have heard so far right it happens to many of us right you know somebody we are talking to someone and let's say that person is telling us a long story you know a tall story which which is actually factually untrue till a certain point it might appear like it's true you know we will be listening to it but at some point when that person says something which is absolutely ridiculous or absolutely irrational then we'll doubt the whole story right till that point we will kind of agree with whatever is being said but when something absolutely unrelatable or unacceptable is said then we will doubt the entire narrative right that's what is the state arjuna is in because till now whatever krishna was saying seems so sensible and you know though it was not common knowledge but the way krishna was explaining it was making it so acceptable that when krishna says that i taught it to sun god arjuna is now he is doubting karma yoga itself no oh my god where is all this coming from right so arjuna knew very well that krishna was only few years older to him right as a relation as a brother in law he knew everybody krishna was a popular figure then so he knew that he was a few years older to him he probably knew when krishna was born and all of that in fact swami says that arjuna becomes so restless with this thought and it starts showing on his face whatever krishna has said is disturbed him so much and then krishna asks arjuna what happened what is the doubt that is brewing in your mind and then arjuna blurts out this question katham yetad vijaniyam how do you expect me to understand this when you know you're just a few years older to me how can you say that you taught this to sun god so in the gita only this one question is mentioned and thereafter krishna resumes his discourse and he goes on to speak about himself and speak about nature and all of that but swami very very beautifully lists out the doubts in arjuna's mind which you know gives us a hint into what was probably running in arjuna's mind and it was very important as i said for arjuna to get this clarified at this very moment 
So Arjuna first asks, how is that even possible? You're only few years older to me. So clearly you could not have taught him in this body, right? He knows that that knowledge is common, that we have multiple births, we die and we are born again in a different body. So Arjuna says that, all right, the only way what you're saying makes sense is you taught it to Sun God in a different body, right? Not in this body of this Krishna who is in front of me. Then Arjuna says, if you claim that it was in a different age when you were in a different body, then how are you able to remember it? None of us has a memory of our previous lives. How are you able to remember what happened to you or through you in a different body? Then uh, Swami says that Arjuna begins to argue, if I were to agree that you are divine and so you have these special powers to know your past, let me accept that for a moment. But then isn't Sun also divine? Why would you teach Sun who is also divine? This particular argument that Arjuna is placing is a clear indication of what Arjuna thinks of Krishna. Clearly, there's no idea of Krishna being the Supreme Lord or the Atma that resides in every being in the world. Yes, Arjuna believes that Krishna is special, but he still does not have the recognition of his true glory. Right? Then Swami goes on to explain about Arjuna's thinking. Arjuna says, Okay, let me for a moment accept that you are superior even to the Sun God that you are Ishwara himself. Then Arjuna says, why would the infinite supreme come before mankind in this limited human form? The one who is limitless, one who is not bound by anything, by time, by action and all of these things, why would that supreme being ever come in a human form? Why should that omnipotent Lord come into a weak body that is subject to birth, aging, death and decay? Right? So in a very beautiful way, Swami lists out all the logical questions that were coming out. In the actual Bhagavad Gita, only that one question of uh, Arjuna is mentioned. But Swami very beautifully lists out all of these questions. And we will see that the rest of the chapter, when Krishna starts speaking, he is addressing each of these questions which arose in Arjuna's mind. And Probably this only Swami could have revealed to us how Arjuna's mind was working at that time. But before we move forward, let us talk a little about Arjuna's ignorance of Krishna. When we look at the doubts that are cropping in Arjuna's mind at this point, we might feel that, what is this? Didn't Arjuna know this much? What is there to be surprised with all of this? Doesn't he know Krishna as God? You know, just like how we all know Swami is God. We all know Krishna is God, right? I think the truth is, we all have no clue about Krishna's divinity. We all have no clue about Swami's divinity. Because if we truly know Swami's divinity, the way we will lead our lives will be completely different. The choices we make will be different. The way we behave will be different. The way we respond to troubles, pain and failure and success all this will be completely different. There is this episode I love to quote and I'm sure I must have mentioned this in other programs too. This happened in the interview room when uh, Swami was with a few of the lecturers of the university and Swami asked, if you have any questions, you can ask me. And one of the lecturers asked this question. He said, Swami, in your discourses, you say that money, wealth and all of this is illusion and you should not run after it. 
So he says, when we hear it from you, we have faith in you and we have faith in whatever you say. Because you say that wealth is illusory, we accept it. But why is it that the mind still goes after it? Why is it that spontaneously we are not able to give up all of these passions and aspirations? And Swami went on to explain to him, he said, uh, you know, when you were a child sometime, at some point you would have put your finger into the fire and you would have burnt your finger, right? I'm sure most of us would have had that experience in some form or the other where we would have gone and exploded fire and we would have burnt our finger. And Swami said, once you know that the fire hurts you in this manner, Swami said, even if I were to hold your hand and try to push it into fire, you will wriggle out of my grasp and you will run away. Right? Swami said it is because that knowledge that fire burns and fire hurts is so deeply ingrained in your mind that it reflects in the way you act. Right? And Swami said, see, when I tell you that this is illusory, your money is not important, it is only an information that you accept, but it is still not knowledge to you. You still do not give it as much importance because once you give it importance, then you will never have this doubt at all. You will never ask this question, why am I still going after money, right? So when we talk about knowledge, when we talk about knowing, claiming that Swami is God, Krishna is divine, or calling Swami as Bhagwan, etc., etc., does not mean that we know who He is. When we truly know, when we truly know that Swami is the supreme being, or Krishna is the supreme being, it will reflect in our behavior just like how the many knowings that we have in our life reflects in our everyday activity, like the knowledge about fire hurting, the knowledge about if I go into water, I'll be drowned. All of these are knowledge to us and it, it kind of defines the way we make choices and we react in situations, right? That is why it is said, there are two pathways to God. Either you love God and endeavor to know God through that love or you try to know who you are. One is the path of bhakti and the other is the path of jnana. Because God and the self is Brahman, right? Whether it is Krishna or Swami or Rama or whoever it is, that God is also Brahman and this self is also Brahman. Either you try to know God or you try to know the self. And Brahmavid, Brahmaiva Bhavati. Knowing Brahman, the self or God one merges in that Brahman or one merges in God. So it is not at all surprising that Arjuna is asking Krishna this question, saying, I do not understand who you are. Swami had in fact told this to one of the professors who, I can't recollect exactly what is the context in which this conversation happened, but when he asked Swami what sadhana that we should do now that we are staying in Prati, Swami said, keep reminding yourself who Swami is. And the teacher said, Swami, I, I know that you are God and doesn't each one of us here know that you are God and that's why we are here, that's why we made this choice of living with you. Swami said, no, you don't know. right? And that is why you have to keep reminding yourself. So that is itself a sadhana. right? I invite all of you to just try it out, probably when you're sitting in meditation or when you're sitting in bhajans. Try to focus completely on this idea who Swami is or the fact that Swami is the Supreme God. When we sing Brahmandanayaka uh, or when we sing bhajans like he is the supreme lord he is the master of all masters when you sing something like that imagine what it means who is Swami who is Swami in your, you know, just picturize that 
he is the one who has infinite love he is the one who has infinite compassion he is one who cannot have a moment of anger or hatred towards you right think of all of these qualities because these are the qualities of divinity which we forget right we only call swami bhagwan we only call swami god but we forget that this is who he is right and swami would say that you know i am divine and i am in each being that you interact with so when you say i know swami is god it also comes with the knowledge that this swami is in each person i interact with i move with right and if we completely absorb ourselves in that knowledge the way we will interact with people around will be completely different the way a problem comes in front of us the way we'll respond to it will be absolutely different from how we respond right this knowledge that swami is behind me swami is with me there is nothing that can come to me which swami doesn't approve of the worst thing which is happening to me has come to me because swami feels it is right for me right all of this is contained in this idea of i know who swami is or i know swami is god right and if you look at a personality like arjuna arjuna i think he can be described as being a very sincere person that if he knows something he will lead his life by that right that is the nature of a, a pure person where if you know something you're ready to pledge your life on that so clearly krishna has not revealed himself completely arjuna in fact that's going to happen in the course of this bhagavad gita discourse so at this particular point he doesn't know that right so he is saying that krishna you tell me what you are and you know how can you make a statement like this clarify this to me so that i will be able to understand whatever you have said so far or i will be able to accept whatever you said so far and i will not start doubting all of that right because it made so much sense till now now what you say is throwing me off balance what do you mean by saying i have taught this to sun god and you know i am the supreme master or whatever it is explain to me and if it is so why would you be born in a human body and what is your nature right krishna is going to answer that question he doesn't say that oh fool don't you know i am the supreme lord krishna answers it in a manner which is actually if you look at it useful for arjuna it is not to overwhelm him he is going to make the answer useful to arjuna we'll listen to the next verse and then we'll discuss about it this is verse number 5 of chapter 4 श्री भगवाच बहूनी मे व्यती जन्मा तव चाजुन तान्यहम वेद सर्वाणी नम वेत्थ पर लॉर्ड रिप्लाइड ओ अर्जुना मेनी लाइफ्स ऑफ माइन हैव पास्ट and so have yours i know them all but you know not o vanquisher of enemies as i said krishna doesn't straight away speak about himself the idea is not to have arjuna completely overwhelmed so he will start worshiping krishna more no that's not the idea as krishna had said in a couple of verses before arjuna you are my devotee and my friend right that appellation of krishna giving arjuna the title the title of you are my friend as a devotee you learn from the lord the way of life 
But as a friend, you look at the Lord as an equal and you say that I want to be like him. I want to achieve that the state of mind, the equanimity, the way you behave, the way you carry yourself, right? If you look at Swami only as the Supreme Lord, yes, you will have a lot of devotion and you will worship him. But when you look at him as a friend, you will at least begin to aspire to lead life like him, right? And that is why Krishna doesn't want to make himself unreachable, right? Swami would say many times, you know, I am God, but so are you. I know it, but you don't. This particular verse that Krishna is replying to Arjuna is pretty much a, a modified version of that same statement that Swami makes. Krishna says, Bahuni janmani, many births, vyatitani me, have passed for me. I have passed through or I have seen through many, many lifetimes. Bahuni janmani, vyatitani me. Then he says, Tavacha Arjuna, it is so even for you, Arjuna. This is not only for me, it has happened even for you. He's saying, even you are not a new person in this body. Krishna is saying, don't think I am this body. This Vasudeva Devaki Nandana Krishna, the child of Mother Devaki and Father Vasudeva. This is only now, this is only in this particular birth. I have lived many, many lifetimes before this, right? Swami gives a beautiful analogy. He says, what do you mean when you say the sun is rising and the sun is setting? It only means for your eyes it is rising and setting but the sun is in the same place. Or when you're you know, driving on a highway, you sometimes see the reflection of the sun on your rear view mirror. And sometimes when you take a turning, you stop seeing the sun in the mirror. You know, It's not reflected anymore. And then when you come back into the highway, probably you start seeing the sun. It is not the sun is vanishing and going away. The sun is always there. But your viewing of that or to your consciousness or to your awareness, the sun is coming and going, right? So Krishna is saying, I am not this body. I am eternal and I have seen many, many births. Bahuni me vyatitani janmani. And then he quickly adds, Tavacha Arjuna. It is so even for you, Arjuna. That's what Krishna had said in the second chapter itself, isn't it? That you are not this body, you were not born, you are not dying, the body is like a shirt which you put on and take off, etc. etc. So Krishna is saying it that I have seen many lifetimes, I am not this body. You have also seen many lifetimes, you are also not this body. In the next statement, Krishna says, as Swami would say, I know it, but you don't. Krishna says, Tani Sarvani, all of them, Aham Veda. I know it or I am aware of all of them. Natvam Parantapa. But you don't know them, O Arjuna. The only difference between a Jivatma and the Paramatma is this knowledge. We don't know and Swami knows. And Bhagavad Gita is a discourse on how to gain that knowledge of the self. That is why I had said we very, very casually use this term know or knowledge, right? I know Swami is God. I know I am not this body. Many times as youngsters when we start reading Advaita, we kind of take the information and start using it. Oh, I am not this body. Oh, I am God. It is not about that knowing. That knowing is a completely different concept, right? We also know, but our knowledge is limited. If you look at the things that we know, as that example of what Swami had told that lecturer, we know that whatever is in our 
everyday experience, we know that fire burns, we know that this is the nature of water, we know that if we fall from a big height, it's going to hurt us. So we also know, and through life, we do gather a lot of knowledge, right? We learn a lot of things, we gain a lot of understanding, but the knowledge that we have is limited, right? But Krishna's knowledge is unlimited. Tanyaham Veda Sarvani. I know all of this. And that is why God is referred to as Sarvagnya, the all-knowing, right? I also know, but my knowing is limited by many, many factors. And what are those factors that limit my knowledge? Space, memory, my intellectual ability, my limitations of the body and the senses and all of that. These are the things which limit my knowledge, right? For example, if I walk into a room, I can know the presence of only what is seen before me. I don't know what are the various you know, bacteria and virus which is there because it is not seen to me and right now I'm sitting in this room. I can only know or have knowledge of whatever is the object which I can see. If there are some unseen microbes here, I don't have a knowledge of them. Probably if I'm a student of science and I've learned it from my science teacher that there are these bacteria in these particular places, I might know that they are there even though I cannot see them. But even now, my knowledge is limited by what probably my science textbook is telling me or my science teacher is telling me, right? So there is something or the other which always limits my knowledge. If I can combine all these limiting factors, what are the things that limit me? You know, when I'm sitting here, I'm trying to explain to you whatever I've read in the past one week, I'm sharing it with you. So I am trying to share with you only what I have read, right? Similarly, when I am talking to somebody or when I am expressing or when I'm explaining something, I am talking on the basis of whatever I have learned through this body, right? So when we say my knowledge is limited, it is limited by my belief that I am this body. I hope you are able to appreciate that. The fact that our knowledge is limited and the fact that I have body consciousness are both completely locked to each other. They are one influences the other, right? But when you talk about Krishna, when you talk about the Lord, there is no limiting factor because there is no body consciousness. And when there is no body consciousness, that person is referred to as a sarvagnya. There is a knowledge which is beyond what the mind can see. Swami explains in the Gita Vahini, Krishna effectively tells Arjuna, you are also unlimited like me, but you don't know it. Rather, you have that knowledge, but right now, it is covered with this ignorance that you are the body. But I have no ignorance. In fact, I am that wisdom itself. Right? As the Mahavakya goes, Pragnanam Brahma, that knowledge itself is Brahman. And Krishna says, that you also have the knowledge, but your knowledge is covered by ignorance. And what is the meaning of that? We'll come to that in the next verse. But then Krishna says, I do not have ignorance. In fact, I am that knowledge itself. What is this idea of saying that, that my all-knowing nature is limited by my body consciousness? Probably we'll talk about that a little, but before that we'll listen to the next verse, which is a continuation of what Krishna explains in response to the question that Arjuna has asked. This is verse number 6 of chapter 4. Ajo pisan navya yatma 
ಭೂತೀಶ್ವರೋಪಿಸನ್ ಪ್ರಕೃತಿ ಸ್ವಾಮಧಿಷ್ಠಾಯ ಸಂಭವಾತ್ಮಯ ದೋ ಐ ಎಂ ಬರ್ತ್ಲೆಸ್ ಅನ್ಡಿಕೇಯಿಂಗ್ ಬೈ ನೇಚರ್ ಎಂಡ್ ದ ಲಾರ್ಡ್ ಆಫ್ ಆಲ್ ಬೀಯಿಂಗ್ಸ್ ಬೈ ಸಬ್ಜುಗೇಟಿಂಗ್ ಮೈ ಪ್ರಕೃತಿ ಐ ಟೇಕ್ ಬರ್ತ್ ಬೈ ಮೀನ್ಸ್ ಆಫ್ ಮೈ ಓನ್ ಮಾಯಾ so from this shloka krishna begins to describe his own nature the nature of his advent and in general he is going to speak about the concept of an avatar which is very very important in the way we understand vedantic wisdom as swami would often say i don't know exactly the reference for that there's one particular discourse where swami clearly says the three aspects which define indian culture or indian spirituality swami would say the concept that the soul undergoes rebirth and comes in different forms there's one soul which takes many bodies that is one central principle the second one is the concept of karma that whatever you do comes back to you and the third thing is the concept of an avatar that the lord manifests in the human form and in what way in what is the nature of the lord that is what krishna is going to explain in this particular verse and the verses to follow so it's a very very important concept and arjuna has triggered it off by asking this question he said what do you mean by saying that you have taught it to the sun god and if it is so if i have to understand that it only means that you are supreme you are greater than all of these entities and deities that we pray to and why would you being so unlimited come in this limited body come in this limited form right that's the question that arjuna has asked and krishna is going to explain how he is different from arjuna and how arjuna can sublimate that difference and become one with krishna right that's the whole idea of brahmagnyan itself as krishna explained in the previous verse and as we saw how swami also says the same thing i am god so are all of you the only difference is i know it and you don't know it so what is this knowledge really what is this idea of what does swami mean by saying i know it and you don't know it what is that knowledge i'm sure we've discussed this many times before god is satya or the eternal truth and this world is mithya which means it appears to be true but it is actually unreal in between there is this feeling of ahankara or the feeling i am so if this i am attaches to the physical body it becomes ignorance and if this i am rightly associates with this atma which is god then it is wisdom right so the moment i stop associating with the body all the limitations of knowledge are removed as i said the limitations of knowledge are coupled with this body consciousness to understand this we must first recognize that the brain or the mind alone is not the means of knowledge true knowledge is actually beyond the mind an analogy which i always like to narrate is when we talk about knowledge or when we talk about what i know or what i'm aware of the facts that i know if i'm talking to you or i'm having a discussion with you i might probably quote from some news channel or book which i've read so invariably whatever i say that i know whenever i say i know this or i'm aware of this or i have knowledge about this 
it is all related to what I have gathered through this body and what I have stored in this physical brain, which is a physical representation of my mind, right? So whatever I refer to as knowledge, whatever I refer to as information that I have, it is all related to what I have gathered and stored in this mind of mine. So when we look at knowledge, when we look at information, when we look at learning or education or whatever it is, we always look at it only through the means of what I can gather through this physical brain of mine, through the time when I'm awake and when I'm gathering things, right? That's how we always look at it. But really speaking, knowledge is not necessarily contained only in this mind, but knowledge is accessed through the mind. And this acceptance is what is the beginning of the understanding of what true knowledge is. An analogy which I always love to give, which clarifies this to me and probably I'm sure I've mentioned this before. I'll repeat it again here. We all have this tool called the SIM card, which we always put into a mobile phone, right? We always put this in the mobile phone and that's how we connect to a network. If you look at a SIM card, it has a minimum amount of storage in it. It's got, I think, a few hundred KB or maybe even lesser than that. And that's how you're able to sometimes store some contacts in it and it, it kind of stores some important serial numbers and all in that in the SIM card itself. But the amount of storage which is there is extremely small. But when I put this SIM card into my phone and through the various settings in the device, I'm able to connect to a network. I'm able to connect to the internet. The moment I do that, the same SIM card, which has an original capacity of a few hundred KB, now can access tons and tons and tons of data. Right? There is no limit to how much knowledge this particular SIM card can now bring to you. Right? Now imagine this human brain or mind or whatever you'd like to call that to be a SIM card. When I'm completely in this idea of body consciousness, I think that whatever I have stored in this brain is the knowledge that I have, right? Compared to the amount of knowledge that is open in the world, it is only a few hundred KB. It's, it's like that. And even within that, we look at each other and say that, oh, I know more than you and you know less than me or I'm more educated, I'm more learned and all of that. We give place to a lot of ego and pride and all of that. But imagine... The brain is like a SIM card and as long as we are attached to this body consciousness, we have access only to that limited knowledge that we can store in this device. But when we raise our consciousness, when we remove this idea that we are this body and when we start believing or when we start experiencing that we are not just this body, from this feeling that I am this body to I am the Atma, then it's like the SIM card now connecting to the network through which you can access all the knowledge in the world, right? It's the same device, it's the same, it still has the few hundred KB of storage, but now it becomes a portal through which you can access all the knowledge in the world, right? And that is the difference between somebody who is steeped in body consciousness like you and me, who have a limited knowledge, and whatever I'm speaking to you now probably is what I've read a few hours ago, and I'm sharing it with you or whatever I've read in the past few years of my life and I'm sharing it with you. But if a person who's sitting, and that is why we've seen, we've seen this with many, many great masters who in a physical sense, they've not gone to school, they've not attended uh, lectures, they've not read books, 
but they are able to speak words of wisdom which overwhelm even the most learned right we have seen many many great sages and saints contemporary and ancient in that sense right so when you are able to remove your idea that i am this body you start becoming a recipient of all the knowledge right so that is the state krishna is speaking about but the only difference is when we talk about me becoming let's say that i am able to reach that state where i have removed my mind from body consciousness and i am able to access all this knowledge i am talking about a human ascent i am talking about the ascent of a jivatma where from i am this body i have reached the state this that i am the atma or i am brahman that is the journey that this individual has gone through the only difference is when you compare a human ascent with krishna or with swami in their case it is a case of divine descent he is an avatara he is in descent so it is not that he is a great being that has reached wisdom as swami said in the gita vaining and, and i just quoted a few minutes ago arjuna's power of wisdom is overwhelmed by the ignorance but krishna is wisdom itself so when it comes to you and me and even arjuna we are also birthless we are also limitless as krishna was saying in the second chapter about our soul he says najayate mriyateva kadachite it is neither born nor it dies na ayam bhutva bhavita vana bhuyah it is not that it is not existent it came into existence and then it will cease to be ajo nitya shashvato ayam purano it is birthless eternal ancient na hanyate hanyamane sharire it does not die when the body perishes right this is what krishna had told and he did not tell this about himself he did not tell this only about arjuna in fact he told this is the case with everybody he said this applies even to duryodhana even the worst person that you come across whatever we said about being unborn and imperishable and being ceaseless and limitless and nitya and all of that applies even to the worst person that we're going to come across in life right so this is the same with everybody but yet we are born we die we suffer we rejoice and why is that so because karma binds us karma binds us to this world we are forced to be born again and again and being born we are under the influence of the maya of god or the delusion of god but krishna when he is explaining about his birth he says ajo apisan even though i am birthless avyayatma i am imperishable bhutanam ishvara apisan in spite of being the master of all beings prakritim swam adhishtaya this is a very very important uh, description that he is giving of himself he saying prakritim swam adhishtaya there are a couple of ways of interpreting this particular phrase the word adhishtaya means to govern or to stand on or to sit upon you know how you'd like to, it varies contextually so adhishtaya means to lord over if you could even put it that way so he says prakritim swam means my prakriti so literally meaning i stand upon my prakriti prakritim swam adhishtaya means i stand upon my prakriti what does this really mean one way of looking at it is krishna is saying i suppress this nature and come like a human being 
right i govern this prakriti or i literally stand upon it i suppress it i ensure that it does not show up and i come in a human form bhutanam ishwarah apisan prakritim swamadishtaya even though i am the master of all beings i come suppressing my real nature right then the line sambhavami atmamayaya the next one which he says means i take birth through my own maya we as individual souls are deluded by maya we think that we are different from others right essentially that's what maya is all about it makes us feel that we are separate entity we are different from god we are different from the world we are different from each other and because i think that we are different from each other it gives rise to greed it gives rise to jealousy it gives rise to anger and all of that comes from this maya that we think that i am an individual entity right so maya is like this thick fog which is blinding right and there is a thick fog and you're trying to drive through that pathway or when you're trying to walk through that you can't see anything around so maya is described like that thick fog but krishna is not blinded by the maya but he is the one who has created that fog he is the one who has created that smoke and he uses that as a cover he uses that to hide his true nature so he is the one who has created that smoke so he can keep his real nature hidden from our eyes so krishna says i don't get deluded by maya i use maya as a cover for my birth so one way of looking at this particular line is though i am the master of all beings i suppress my ishwara prakriti or my divine nature hiding behind this fog of maya i come to the world like like the very very beautiful and famous purandar dasakriti which of course swami was also very fond of where he says jagado dharana adisi dile yashoda he is the redeemer of the whole world but mother yashoda you were playing with him anuraniyana mahato mahiyana aprameyana adisi dile yashoda he is subtler than the subtlest he is greater than the greatest he is beyond comprehension oh mother yashoda but you played with him right he allows himself to be treated like a normal child like a son like a baby like a friend like a beloved why because he hides his prakriti his ishwara prakriti or his divine nature and he hides behind this veil of maya so that we don't get overwhelmed right and comes in this human form that's one way of looking at this particular statement that krishna is making he says prakritim swam adishtaya prakritim swam adishtaya i stand upon or i cover my nature sambhavami atmamayaya and i manifest through my own maya the other way of looking at this particular statement prakritim swam adishtaya is it is a contrast to what krishna himself explained as the nature of a normal person right in the third chapter when krishna right in the beginning he had said everyone even a wise person is also under the influence of one's prakriti right he had told this right in the beginning of the chapter but krishna says an avatar is not like that i come with my nature completely under my control right when he says at prakritim swam adishtaya it could also mean that i am not coming under the influence of my prakriti like my nature like all of you but i come with my prakriti under my control i am the one who is the master of my nature i come in that form right 
whenever we spoke about Swami and Swami's nature, we often speak of this, you know, when we talk about any emotion. Many times we have seen Swami becoming very, very angry. We have seen Swami sometimes being very emotional. We have seen Swami becoming very delighted. Sometimes Swami would even express emotions of fear or doubt. When he starts a new project, Swami would appear sometimes tense. Truly speaking, he was never having any of these emotions, right? When we are under the influence of any of these emotions, we are literally under the grasp of these emotions. You know, we speak, if we are angry with somebody, our words are governed by that anger. If we are worried about something, we lose our sleep, and right? We are coming under the influence of these emotions. But when it came to Swami, for him, all of these emotions were like masks. He would wear it and he would take it off, right? And that is what Krishna is saying here. He's saying, I do not come under the influence of my prakriti. I come as a person who is in complete control of this, of this nature of mine. I come over, I come with a like a person who is using this prakriti as a tool, right? And use Maya as a means by which I am not easily recognized. You will look at me and you'll think that you know, he's like a normal human being, right? So that's what that is the essence of what Krishna is telling in this particular verse. He's saying, though I don't have a birth, though I don't perish, though I am the supreme master of all, I stand upon my own nature and through the play of my own maya, I make my advent. Right. So to the question that Arjuna is asked, who are you? Literally, that is the question that Arjuna is asking. You know, you say that you've taught it to sun god, you've done this, you've done that. Who are you really? I thought you are my brother-in-law, you are my good friend who has volunteered to be my charioteer. But who are you? You are telling me that you have taught all of this to the sun god. So Krishna is beginning to explain who he really is and as I said in the beginning of the chapter itself, these are verses which are very important for us because it also gives us an insight into Swami's nature. Right? He's going to talk about an avatar. What an avatar does? As devotees of Swami, as people who are you know, involved in Swami's organization, people like me who are working in Swami's ashram, or people, who, some of you might be Balvika's teachers, some of you might be parents who are trying to you know, teach about Swami to your children. We all often claim that you know, we are playing a small part in Swami's mission. Right? There's nothing wrong in saying that. We all claim that we are being part of whatever Swami is trying to achieve, quote-unquote, through His divine avatarhood. Right? If we want to be a part of Swami's mission, I think it is very important to understand what is Swami's mission. Was Swami's mission to build an organization? Was Swami's mission to build hospitals? Was Swami's mission to build universities? If we think that that's Swami's mission, yes, we could participate in that. But we will not be participating in Swami's mission without understanding what His real mission is. You know, otherwise, we will be creating an idea of what it is and we will be following that. So in the verses that are to follow, Krishna is going to speak about why does an avatar come? What is the mission of an avatar? And we have the good fortune of turning to Swami's Gita Vahini to kind of wherever Krishna and Vyasa in his words, I think he was addressing a generation which was much, much earlier, which probably had a better IQ than you and me. And that's why you can see that there are a lot of gaps in the narration. And thankfully for Swami and Swami's Gita Vahini, all of those gaps are filled and we have the opportunity to go back to that and also Swami's discourses and to understand it much, much better. So we'll continue this most important part next week. 
do join me again dear listeners i most humbly offer this effort at swami's lotus feet and i hope to see you all again next week take care jai sai ram